Friends, I'm going to take off my mask as I preach because I want you to be able to hear me. Uh, thank you for keeping yours on as we all try to do our part. Uh, would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, that through the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts that we would hear you speaking to us. Amen. No one can face life in isolation. No one can face life in isolation. Pope Francis wrote those words in a document that he published back in October. And believe it or not, I don't spend all my spare time reading what Pope Francis writes. I was in a Zoom conference uh, yesterday afternoon, and I heard somebody quote this in a breakout room on psychology and ministry and the pandemic. And as I heard these words, no one can live life in isolation, it made me think, we're almost an entire year into this pandemic, 52 weeks. What are going to be the enduring lessons that we take with us from this pandemic when hopefully sometime in the near future it's in the rearview mirror? And I don't know about you, but one of the biggest lessons that I'm going to take away Right next to the reality that blowing out birthday cake candles is probably the most unsanitary practice we do. <laughs> we'll not be doing that after the pandemic. I don't know about you. But I'm going to take away this truth that we've all learned in one way or another. No one can live life in isolation. Now, we've all uh, weathered the quarantines and isolations of this pandemic in various kinds of ways. And if you identify as more uh, extroverted, perhaps you've had a more difficult time. Or if you're like me and are a little more introverted, perhaps the uh, alone time has been a gift and a blessing. (laughs) And yet we all know in one way or another the truth that it is not good for us to be alone that no one can live life in isolation. We've all learned that it is not good for folks to be at their deathbed without their family able to be there. It is not good for us to be disconnected and isolated from our families and our friends for months, even years on end. We've all learned, we feel it deep in our bones, I think, a year into this pandemic. No one can live life in isolation. We're not made to do life alone. We're made for community. This, of course, is a truth that Christians have known for years and years and years. For It was God who says in Genesis chapter 2, the passage that Gary read for us, it is not good for humans to be alone. And I love this second creation narrative where we see God as a potter and a gardener and he gets down into the dust of the earth and he crafts humans out of the dust of the ground and he makes Adam and he says it is not good for humans to be alone so I will make for you a partner and I love how in the text God first makes pets And oh, we love our pets, and pets are a gift from God. And I love how in the scripture, God gives us the companionship of pets. I love my dog, Matilda, more than most things on this earth. And pets, in so many ways, are a gift of God's grace to us. And yet, God in God's wisdom knows that every now and again, we like to have a companion that can talk back to us. 
And so God gets back down into the dust of the ground and takes a rib out of Adam and forms it with the dust and creates another human that we could have community. And I love this passage because it reminds me that even though each and every one of us are created uniquely and individually out of the dust of the ground, we are not designed to be individuals. We are designed for community. And if you look throughout Scripture, you see this theme time and time again. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says, Two are better than one, for you can lean on one another. And a a three-fold cord is not easily broken. In our Gospel in Mark chapter 6, we see it again. When Jesus sends out his disciples, not as individuals, but in pairs, two by two, just like in Noah's Ark when the animals came onto the ark, two by two. Now, two weeks ago, at the beginning of our uh, baptism sermon series, we talked about Mark chapter 1, where Jesus goes into baptism, uh, receives that uh, baptism, and then is sent out into the wilderness. And this is in chapter 6, and a lot has happened between chapter 1 and chapter 6. Jesus has begun his uh, ministry. He's been traveling from town to town. He's been healing the sick. He's been feeding the hungry. He's been calming the Sea of Galilee in the midst of the storm. And he's even been teaching a couple parables. All this is happening in chapters 2 through 5. But the most important thing that I think he does in those chapters is he calls his disciples. And we see this in a pretty short passage in chapter 3 where he calls the 12 disciples to come and follow him. And it's important for us today because we see there in chapter 3, and if you look it up, you'll see each disciple is named. Each disciple is called from their diverse background, from their diverse experience, from their diverse walks of life, one by one, each by name. They're called individually to follow Christ, but they're not meant to stay as solely individuals. For in chapter 6, we see they're sent out in community. So don't miss the connection between Mark 6 and Genesis 2, for Genesis 2 shows us that we are created uniquely and individually by God, but we are designed for community. And Mark chapter 6 shows us that we are called in many ways to follow Christ as individuals, and yet we're also called to follow Christ in community. The call of Christ for his disciples to go out in pairs in many ways is practical, just like Ecclesiastes 4, uh, two is better than one. For the disciples to go out in pairs, they knew that they could lean on one another when the journey got hard. They could have two sets of ears, which is always a good thing to have. They could support one another on the journey and on the mission. It is practical in some sense, but it's also deeply theological, for Christ calls us into community, into community with one another, community with the whole church, community even with the whole world, and community with God. God in Christ reigns us in from our diverse backgrounds, our diverse walks of life, all nations, ages, and races, as our baptismal covenant says, and brings us together to be part of one 
community, a community that is oriented and guided by Christ. Now, there are lots of communities that we can be a part of these days. There are sports leagues, there are uh, interest groups, clubs at our schools. Uh, One of the communities that I've been a part of here in uh, Wichita is a pottery studio over on 2nd and Meridian, and it's a great community. It's a place where people from all walks of life, all nations, ages, and races come together for a common purpose, and that is to make really cool pottery. We're part of all kinds of communities, and these communities, most of the time, add wonderful things to our lives. But the Christian community, the community that Jesus calls his disciples to be a part of in Mark 6, and the community that Jesus calls us to be a part of, is unique in a lot of ways. It's unique not only because it is a community focused on following Christ, on serving the poor, on acts of mercy and acts of justice, on proclaiming the good news of God's love. The disciples did all of those things, and we should too. But the community is also one where we support one another, where we're called to encourage one another, to walk with one another, to accompany one another on the journey of faith. And that is, I think, something special about the Christian community because when we come together and we do that supporting and encouraging work, it's not just because we're nice. (laughs) It's not just because we want to be friends, but it's because we want to nurture one another in this Christian walk. To follow Christ, to be a community of love and forgiveness. And this is part of what we remember when we come to the baptismal covenant. This is part of the liturgy. Whenever somebody is initiated into the family of Christ, you in the congregation, the whole church, we say together a promise, a vow, that we will support and encourage, nurture this child or this person in the faith, that they may walk in the ways that lead to life, that they would know more deeply the love of Christ for them. It's part of our commitment. It's part of our promises to one another, and it is a deeply theological thing. I believe we have the words on the screen here, actually, for this part of the baptismal covenant. And I would like for us to say these words together as we remember this is part of our covenant to one another. This is part of our promise. For just a little bit of context here, this part comes right after the profession of faith, which Pastor Gary preached about last week but before the actual baptism. And before the baptism, the question that the pastor poses to you, the congregation, is will you nurture one another and this one now before you in the Christian life and faith? And to that question, we all say, with God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround these persons with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their trust of God and be found faithful in their service to others. We will pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. No one can face life in isolation. And as Christians, we're not meant to. Heaven knows we don't always get this part of the baptismal covenant right. We struggle in so many ways 
to be a community together. We get mad at one another. We disagree. We struggle to spur one another on in love and forgiveness, especially in this, these 52 weeks of the pandemic when we haven't been able to be together. It's been hard in many ways to feel connected to the community when we're tuning in online. Community is hard, and we don't always get it right. And yet, I think there continues to be something so, so powerful and transformative and life-changing whenever community comes together in the name of Christ to live out that promise. It changes lives. One example that I think of when I think of uh, living out this vow is Grandma Mary. Now, uh, I did not get to know Grandma Mary in this life. She passed away just a few weeks ago, as many of you know, but I know her through your stories. And through, her, and through the stories of her life, I know that she was not only one who taught so many of us the faith, but she was one who surrounded so many of us with a community of love and forgiveness that spurred us on in the faith. She was one who lived out this baptismal vow. I also think about confirmation mentors. We have 12 of them um, in this confirmation cohort who have committed to journeying alongside our confirmands. And the beautiful thing about uh, confirmation mentors is not that they always get it right. It's not that they have all the answers or are spiritual experts. The power of mentors is that they are people who agree to live out this vow to come alongside young people, to encourage and support them in all the ways and means they can, to pray for them and to spur them on that they might be disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. That's what it looks like to live out this baptismal vow. But it doesn't have to look like teaching Sunday school for decades. It doesn't necessarily have to look like being a confirmation mentor. Living out this vow can be as simple as sending an email. When I was in my uh, first year of graduate school out in Atlanta, I was feeling very disconnected from my community. I was wrestling with my faith. I was struggling with my classes. And I was sitting in my Old Testament class one day, and I realized that I was near my rope's end, and I did not have a sense of community. Then all of a sudden, I got an email from an old pastor-turned-friend named Ben. And Ben sent me this email just out of the blue. He had seen a quote that made him think of me, so he sent it my way and said a simple word of encouragement, something along the lines of, Daniel, I know the journey you're on is hard, but remember above all else that the journey is good and the journey is of God. And his words brought tears to my eyes as I was sitting in my Old Testament classroom because I felt the isolation and the disconnectedness and the loneliness broken, even if just for a moment, as I remembered that my community was still behind me. That's what it looks like to live out this baptismal vow. Big and small ways, all the same. So friends, how will we live out this baptismal vow? How will we come around one another in this new season of life as things begin to reopen to once again remember the call to support, encourage one another 
to be the beloved community for Christ has created us individually, but calls us, commands us even to be in community. How will you nurture the person sitting in the pew in front of you or the pew behind you or the pew beside you? How will you let that person nurture you? If you're looking for a sign from God, let this serve as your invitation, not just to come back and sit in the pews, but to come back to community, to come back and to be known, to be loved, and to be nurtured. We won't always get it right. We never do. But with Christ's help, we can push back the forces of isolation and loneliness and be the community that Christ has called us to be. For as Pope Francis said, no one can live in isolation. And thank God we don't have to. Amen.